They were talking about their exit plan is about seven years down the road, they're gonna sell the company. I said, great, so if I can make your benefits better and reduce your cost, put a million dollars back in your bottom line, what's your multiple? Oh, we sell for 10X. That means I just raised your valuation of your company by $10 million. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Dan Lebrod, CEO of Ovation Health and Life Science, a fiduciary employee benefits firm focused on results and outcomes. Ovation reduces costs through innovative long-term strategies and cost risk controls with a strong emphasis on client experience through employee education and engagement. Dan's motivation always has remained the same, help businesses protect and grow their bottom line while giving their employees access to higher quality healthcare at a fair and reasonable price. I say yay to that. Dan's work has been recognized by the benefits industry for over 16 years. He's repeatedly received at the prestigious National Association of Health Underwriters Soaring Eagle Award for demonstrating exceptional professional knowledge and outstanding client service. Dan's consistently been a student and teacher in his industry and has maintained the high moral and ethical character expected of the industry's top representatives. For the same reasons, industry publications, benefits, PRO, and Employee Benefit Advisor have both featured Dan's professional insights in their pages, and he attracted the attention of the highly influential Chief Executive Magazine, which featured Dan and his client in a 2020 article, The Cure for Healthcare Costs. Because of Dan's expertise in industry leadership, he was also invited by the World Healthcare Congress to serve as faculty at their annual event in Washington, D.C. He's the creator and host of his own popular podcast, The Ovation Show, and founder of the Lone Star Council of the C-Suite Network. Recently, he's been a guest contributor on Fox radio stations around the country and is a contributing author of the Amazon number one bestselling book, Life and Death Decisions in the C-Suite. Dan, you're impressive. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks, Carol. Great to be here. It's good to have you. So what's the biggest problem? I mean, we talked a little bit about it that, I mean, tell me a little bit more about how you're solving the problem of, you know, the healthcare shit show that we're living in for your cousin. (laughs) (laughs) You you, you termed it, you know, uh, the way it should be termed. Um, You know, we we are, we're rising costs every year. I mean, we see employers are paying more and more. It's, I mean, going way past inflation. Uh, outpacing it. Employees are stuck with higher deductibles, higher out-of-pocket costs without their wages increasing to, to cover that. Um, and not, and not, not just, just deductibles and co-pays and drug costs, but even just what they're paying for their health insurance from the employer. Because the employer, you know, the employer can't absorb all the costs. Right. And so they're passing on the employees. Re- so how is that good when you're, re- you're, you're charging more for health insurance, but, but you're getting worse benefits, you're getting less benefits, you're paying more. So myself and actually a group of, uh, I guess, colleagues around the country and consultants, about 50 of us in a group called Next Gen Mastermind, we're combating that. And we're showing employers how to beat the system, how to give their employees better quality care at a lower cost while increasing their bottom line. And doing that, I mean, we're having amazing success. I've been doing it all day, working with new clients, uh, you know, showing them, hey, we're reducing your cost 20, 30, 60% while giving equal or better benefits. How? How do you do that? You know, the biggest thing is taking charge. So you're when you look at the 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 typical we call them the bucas, Blue Cross, United United Healthcare, Cigna, Aetna, Humana. Yeah. And you got it depending what state you're in, they could be you could have Kaiser or sure. whatever. But when you're working with them, your interests are misaligned. They are their only job for them is to make money and answer their shareholders right. we're making money. Yeah, right. Well, so when you start getting away from them and managing your own plan to get transparency and control, and like any other piece of your business, any other thing, whether it's buying paper for your, you know, for your paper plate manufacturing plan or, or buying, you know, whatever you're buying to run your business, you try to, with transparency control and being able to control pricing, 
Now you control your bottom line. You control where you're paying for things. This And it is, it's really a commodity. Healthcare is still a commodity. You're paying for something. And just a matter of that, you know, with the bukas, you're paying them to hopefully have your best interest at heart and they yeah, don't. Right. So now we take the employers and we put them into a, a control position. Mm-hmm. And we do that through really through, we, some will say alternate funding. So you look at really it's self-funding. And so for larger employers, we do tr- we help mm-hmm. them get into from a fully insured model, which is the bukas into a true self-funding model, but with control and risk control. So that there's, there's, there isn't that risk and everyone's fearful of, oh my God, there's, there's risk in that. There's not risk if you plan it properly. Right. But even for the smallest employer, there's alternate funding solutions where we can put, take that self-funded model mm-hmm. and move it down into a small employer situation where they still have that control with no risk and they get, they get the benefit of better, better benefits and savings. Yeah, that's really interesting. And you know, I've heard a lot about this. The self-funding seems to be I'd say gaining traction. Is that, I mean, would that be an accurate thing to say? Yeah. I think the recent study that just came out said something around, it's about 65, almost 70% of employers are now in some sort of self-funding model. That's really um, It's really increased in the last few years. And the ACA, as much as, you know, there's some bad about it and good about it, it really pushed, it, it, made, it drove that because really? what happened was in 2014, the ACA passed and it said, okay, everybody has to be covered for all conditions. There's no medical underwriting anymore. There's no pre-existing conditions. And so we saw, I'm going to use Texas as an example. You know, we had five car- major carriers. Within a year, three of them left. Actually, they left. They're like, we can't do this. It doesn't work. Financially, we're, we're getting killed. So we were left with Blue Cross United Healthcare. I, yeah. Take a year later, after that fact, suddenly all these third-party administrators and self-funded plans said, hey, you know, we can medically underwrite because we're, under, we're not under ACA. We're under ERISA. And they started building plans for groups that were 50 employees or more. Then it went down to 25, then 20. Now we're doing this with employee groups of only two people, taking them into a self-funded model with no risk and dropping their costs 20, 30, 40%. And then on top of that, the employers are getting money back at the end of the year because they had low claims. How many people say, oh, it sucks. I'm getting a 10% rate increase and I didn't even use my health plan. Yeah, right. How fair is that? And now we have people that are going, yeah, we didn't use our health plan. And guess what? We're getting money back. That's the way it should operate. Right, and, our, right. and our renewal is zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it, listen, it's the same thing with PNC insurance, right? I mean, yeah. I, you know, I don't have to have a claim. I live in Colorado. That's all that anybody needs to know. Wildfires <laughs> and hail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Texas. We, we, we got a little bit of both. We got a lot of hail. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I may not have a hail claim for 10 years. Doesn't mean my, 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 you know, my homeowners isn't going to go up every single year. Yep. Well, you know, you look at the fully insured model, it works that way. I mean, really PNC or your property and casualty, it's a fully insured model. You're, you're paying and getting increases because of the huge pool. That's right. And so we look into these self level funded, we call them level funded alternate funding models for mm-hmm. the smaller groups. You know, you're with there, you're still in a pool, but we're really looking at your claims. We're looking right. at your risk individually. And that's mm-hmm. why we get lower rates. If you're a group with, you're 10 people and everyone's got cancer. Yeah, you probably have to stay in fully insured to be in that pool. <laughs> yeah, right. But for the average group, that's not the place for you. Right. And that's where like for larger groups that are self-funded, why are they self-funded? Because they realize we want to understand our own risk mm-hmm. and only be, pen- we only want to pay for our risk and what we have at stake. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's, it's just taking control and having that transparency yeah. into what's happening in your group. Fantastic. So you founded the company in 2006. Uh, and you bootstrapped it. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, actually for the first, what are we now? I'm at 16 years. So for the first, I want to say almost nine, 10 years, I was single man shop working my butt off every day and, you know, just cranking out and building the client base. And then about six, seven years ago, I took a, uh, an enroll enrollment person I had and he became, he became part of the company. Now we're growing. We just hired, we just hired another employee yesterday. We'll probably hire two more in the next three months. So we're growing really rapidly. Mm-hmm. And the growth is because we're getting more clients, yep. getting more revenue. Yep. But the clients are, these are clients that are coming over because they want to do something different. They're mm-hmm. looking for change and we're bringing it to them. Dan, do you feel like you have grown at the pace that you want, that you've wanted to? I mean, are you like, have you, you know, do you ever sit down and think, I'd like to be, you know, five times bigger than I am right now? I don't know five times. I would like no, to be I'm, a little yeah, bit. I'm just making stuff yeah. <laughs> I would like to be bigger. And I think the pace was slow. I, so I would say I had about three, two or three different paradigm shifts in my career. So in the beginning, I was in volunteering. I was doing small group benefits. Mm-hmm. 
Then I got to a point where I was like, man, I really don't want to do this. And then the ACA came and I, and I suddenly saw this little bit of light where a lot of my colleagues were battling ACA. We got to repeal this. I said, no, you know what? There's no repealing it. It's going to stay. Mm-hmm. And so we, I braced myself and went after clients and we grew that year and we grew more and it was kind of fun. And then Level Funded came in and I got really excited about this. And then I kind of got another point where I was like a little stagnant. Oh, I'm so tired of doing this. And then I got into self-funding, which is exciting because mm-hmm. we have control and we're building health plans. We're having amazing results. Oh, yeah. and we're, I'm and increasing bottom lines and empl- you know, employers are praising our praise, praises mm-hmm. and we're, employees are loving everything. And when you start doing that, that, it brings that excitement in. And that's where the growth really started for us. I mean, we, are, we grew every year, but mm-hmm. ma- massive growth, I mean, started about six years ago when we started really getting into self-funding, alternate funding, because employers just hadn't seen a lot of this stuff. And now it's so, it's great because a lot of consultants and brokers and they're not talking about it still. Right. Well, and it's, it's, I have to imagine it's really super creative what you're doing also, right? To put, yeah. And a lot of the solutions we're bringing people don't know about. I mean, it's just, it's new stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Tell me a little bit about, you know, your journey from, you know, when you got out of school, uh, you know, way back when in the dark ages and, you know, nine, what was it? 90, uh, 92 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You're pretty right. It's right. I'm about 92. Yeah. Um, to, you know, where, what were you doing from 92 to 2006 when you said, I'm going to A lot of here. things. So yeah, I got out of school. I was actually in the restaurant industry. Uh, I worked for, uh, there was, I think two macaroni Romano's macaroni grills in Tulsa. I worked for the second one and then breaker one expanded across the Southwest. And so I ended up going out and I ended up doing store openings all across the Southwest from California, Florida, mm-hmm. did a lot of Texas actually and Florida. Um, but it was staying in Tulsa. And then I got recruited by Abercrombie and Fitch to be a store opener for them. Huh. Um, because they were doing the same thing. They were, they were a Northern company and they decided they want to expand across yeah. the Sunbelt region. So I traveled from California, to Florida, opening stores that landed me in Austin, opened three or four stores, which then eventually brought me to Dallas. Um, and then I was here opening three or four stores and I never left. Um, after that I've done, I went to work for, I had a lot, I went back in the restaurant industry. I was a level two song for a restaurant group, mm-hmm. which is part of, was part of like a property company, a huge mm-hmm. company here. But not, but none of those things have anything to do with what you're doing now. <laughs> so that's all I'm going to get to. So I, I had a right. job, uh, I ended up going into it. I left one job I hated and I ended up getting working for a company called heritage and they were a financial wealth management, capital gains okay. tax company. And because I worked there, they had, we had to have an insurance license, even though I didn't ever do anything with insurance. We just had to have it. So I got my license. I hated that job. It was awful. Um, and so after about a year and a half, I quit. I'm like, well, what do I do now? I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I had an insurance license. I said, well, let me, you know what? I have an Aflac policy. It's been good to me. Let me, let me yeah. start with Aflac. And that's kind of where my career started. And it's funny because in our industry, no one ever says they want to be an insurance agent. I've only yeah. met one other person that said, yeah, hey, right. I, I was meant to do this. Yeah. Insurance is so sexy after all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, so I, I ended up going to Aflac and then, um, I ended up becoming a top producer in the country, top producer in the state. Mm-hmm. And my clients came to me and said, Hey, we love working with you. Can you do our health insurance? And I was like, uh, okay, sure. Say yes, you know, and figure it out afterwards. And that's kind of where it grew. And so I started doing, I learned health insurance. I learned dental vision. I started doing that and just mm-hmm. in a small group sector. Mm-hmm. And that really just grew the end, grew where I, what I became. Um, and eventually that's where ovation came from. Um, mm-hmm. I said, you know, I'm going to, I don't want to be the Aflac guy. I want to be the ovation guy. And right. that grew it. And now, you know, we go from 15 years later, we go from Aflac all the way to now, you know, running and controlling company health plans with, you know, thousands of employees. So I, I want to talk a little bit about the time that you spent as a sole practitioner before you started hiring people, you know, um, what did you find to be your biggest challenges at growing a business, especially when you didn't know anything about? <laughs> yeah. You can only fake it so much, right? Yeah. You know, I think it just came down to time. You know, you're growing and you have people coming up and saying, we've heard great things about you. We want to work with you. Yeah. And I got to a point where I'm, I'm working 18 hours a day. I'm tired and I can't do any more on my own. I'm doing enrollments. I'm managing technology. I'm managing, you know, billing everything during the day. And it just really got tiring. And I, and I moved on my business. So I got lucky. I moved on my business from Aflac over to another, another competitor called Colonial. The reason I did that was because they offered me enrollment support. They said, we have a team on the ground 
that will help you enroll that understands health benefits. We'll take all this off your plate. I said, okay, let's try this. Well, sure enough, I doubled business that year because they took all that busy work I had during the day, like going out to talking to employees about benefits and enrolling them. They did it all. And, you know, of course they're making money because we're selling their policies, but within our benefit packages, but that I grew immensely that year. I doubled business that year because they took that busy work off my plate. And I focused on revenue growth, business growth, getting new clients, and then the higher level stuff. Um, as one of my buddies says, you know, I focus on CEO shit. Well, not really. Then it was just business growth stuff. Um, but that's kind of, that really helped me grow and, and move forward faster. Um, and now one of the first enrollment persons that ever worked for me, you know, he's my COO now, you know, um, and he's, you know, he's still, now he manages our enrollment team. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, but that was that growth part. It was really, it was tough because you, you know, you're doing it by yourself and you're bootstrapping and you're trying to, and I'm trying to raise a family in the meantime too. Yeah, so my expenses are increasing. I didn't have the money to pay people. Yeah. Well, listen, I think, you know, every entrepreneur who starts out in bootstraps knows that feeling right? You know, you've got to get to a certain point uh, income-wise where you can actually have enough money to start paying people and bringing them on board. And you said that happened about six years ago, seven years ago Yeah, for you? Okay. So you're up to yeah. how many full-time employees now? Uh, five. Five. Okay. So that's... So and that's then we have an enrollment team that are 1099. So right. I mean, we, we do all that though. But yeah, just actual employees that manage the firm were at five. Right. So, so that doesn't seem like very many people um, given how busy you sound and how, how well your business is going, how are you able to manage all that? <laughs> it's systems, you know, and that's what I think we realized. I built a lot of efficient systems when I was by myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And we carry, and for the high level of service we give, we're able to carry those systems over and we just keep adding to them, making them more efficient, more robust. But having those systems in place lets everybody work more efficiently and we can use less people to still offer the high level service. But if we get, you know, we bring on new clients, we just brought on four new clients this past month. And I said, okay, that's more revenue, but also it's more work. And we hired another, is that actually one of my enrollment team that's worked for me for several years. So, okay, you want to come on full time and work for us? She's like, yes. And so she's now officially a full-time employee as of this week. So, so I want to talk a little bit about, because we're talking about, you're you're mentioning the enrollment period, which we are, have just entered into the first of this month, right? My whole issue with the ACA is that you basically can't get insurance after the enrollment period, you know, unless, you know, other than an act of God, figuratively speaking. Um, so do you, are you basically just busy two months a year and then, you know, you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs or, you know, because... No, because we don't do... We, like you're talking about the individual of the marketplace. We don't do any of that. We only work with employers and that's year round. Got it. So yeah, we're employers. We're working with employers. I at, get that. So we have employers that have renewal dates of one one five one three one seven one. Whenever they want. Health plans renew throughout the year. Okay. And and then we're busy every month. You know, depending on when they renew. But then we have we have normal work. We're doing claims adjudication. We're doing or not adjudication. We're doing claims analysis. We're doing plan analysis. Mm. We have a bunch of groups like their stop loss renews in March. So we January we're real busy doing claims analysis. Okay. So it's it's a year round business. I will say the summertime is our slowest mm-hmm. and that's where I focus on a lot of marketing. That's my branding marketing month mm-hmm. where I said, okay, I'm going to focus on branding marketing for the fourth quarter, but also planning for the next year. Right. Because once we hit like August, September, we're buried. Right. So, so let's talk about, about how you market and how you're finding your customers uh, or your prospects, I should say, you know, are, yeah. are you doing, is it all outbound? Is it a combination of outbound and inbound? What does that look like for you? So we, I don't do, I'm the only, so there's one of the things is I'm the only salesperson. <laughs> so I don't have, and it's really been hard to find people to go out and, and grow and understand what we're doing and what we're offering. So it is, I do have someone we're looking at now that hopefully will come on next year. Okay. Um, but it's really just myself doing the, the marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of word of mouth. I would say 60% of our new clients come from a referral. 60%. Wow. Mm-hmm. The other probably 30% are warm. They're coming from either events I speak at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I see them. I, my, my, they might hear me speak. They watch a podcast, something like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And there's about 10% where they're probably more cold where I, I see a company I want to work with. And you reach out to them. And I go, yeah. hey, you know what? I want to work with you. You yeah. look like a great company with a great culture. I would like to work with you. And I reach out to them directly. Yeah. When you're reaching out, when you, when you're, who are you talking to, whether they're reaching out to you or, or, or the other way around, 
who's who 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 in the company is the target? Is it human resources? No. So it's human resources. We we end up working with them. Yeah. And then on occasion, you know, we do start with their. I mean, I just met with a client last week. And I'm actually talking to the VP of HR, but she's really second in charge, so it's yeah. okay. But typically, we're looking at CEO, CFO, the C-suite level, uh, and that's right. because we're not talk we're not talking about deductibles and insurance. We're mm-hmm. talking about a bottom line, one of the top expenses of the company. Right. That is the CFO C-suite decision. So when we come in and say, if your spend is three million dollars a year, and we can bring it down to two, how does that affect your bottom line? <laughs> how does it affect the profitability of the company? Mm-hmm. And and we just had a conversation with one. I'll use an example. And this you know, and this shows it's not an HR function. We said they were talking about their exit plan is about seven years down the road. They're going to sell the company. And we we're talking about EBITDA. Mm-hmm. I said, great. So if I can make your benefits better and reduce your cost by a million dollars and put a million dollars back in your bottom line, what's your multiple? Oh, we sell for 10X. That means I just raised your valuation of your company by $10 million. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, because we just put a million dollars back in your bottom line. And they realize that relationship that this is a an expense. Mm-hmm. It, it's some, but it can also be a kind of a revenue generator. So it is. It's related to EBITDA and the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And then after that, yeah, we, we we work with HR to implement, to design plans, to work, you know, to talk about stop loss, other mm-hmm. things. But really, it's a financial decision that that starts at the top. Well, and that and that makes perfect sense. And that, that's why I'm asking. You know, not knowing, yeah. obviously, not knowing who you're selling to, right? So, yep. so what, I mean, you're in a pretty competitive business. Um, how do you, how do you separate yourself from everyone else? Yeah, I think there's, depending where we're at and where we're playing, where we're playing, typically, I mean, again, it's going to be, is there a cost savings? Are we offering solutions that are different than other people? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in a fully insured market, if I'm going to Blue Cross United Healthcare and that's what, and that's the best place they can be. And then basically we're the same as anyone else from a cost perspective because the rates are filed in the state. We can't, no one can give a better rate than anybody else. So there's a level playing field. You could be the largest broker in the country. You could be locked in Dunning or Marsh. Mm-hmm. We're the same. No one gets a better rate. So then it comes down to service. So we see that. And I've had a lot of consultants and brokers, friends of mine say, oh, I'm a service. No one, you know, no one cares about that. They want money. I'm like, no, in the end, honestly, service is still, yep. we're seeing it still. Yeah, they want to save money. But service is still number one. I so agree. we've never changed our service model. We make it better every year. Yeah. But ultimately, and then there's costs. So it's the two things. Um, it's service and cost. And if you can give both, it's great. But I do have one client that even told me, he goes, you know what? You save us a ton of money every year. But even if it, even if it was evil with somebody else, I, w- I won't leave you because your service model and how you take care of us and our employees is better than anyone anyone we've ever interviewed. And they've been with us nine years now. Yeah. Do you have somebody handling customer success? Yeah. So we've got, we've got, we start off, I mean, that was one of my, that was my second hire. Yeah, good. And so she handled a lot of stuff, took it off my plate. And now she has a team of her own. We've had to hire because she's so busy. Again, we're very high level, seven day a week, high touch service. And, and, you know, you got tens of thousands of employees. Now we don't get a lot of calls, but we still on a daily basis, you've got, you know, calls coming in from employees and we're trying to solve things and take care of issues and problems or enrolling people. So there's a whole team that she oversees now um, that come to her. And when she says, oh, we're overwhelmed, and they're overwhelmed. Great. Let's hire somebody. Let's find somebody new to hire. That means mm-hmm. we're really busy. Mm-hmm. But, but, are, but are, are you doing any active reach out to your customers? Because it sounds like you're saying, you know, we get we calls come in, but you know that's that's what true customer success is is you know act that I could tell you we have weekly contact with every single client. Good. In one way or the other, whether it's an outreach, just an email going out, we have our normal communications that come through our client portal that go out every week, Mm -hmm. newsletters and things like that, legislative updates that goes to all our clients. They have a client portal where they're getting uh, push out notifications, but just on a basis of. I would say like our largest clients we're talking to probably every other day. Um, but even our smallest clients, you know, they're getting, we're talking to them once a month. Maybe it's just checking in. How are you doing? And, and they're great. And we have, I still have to this day, you know, 16 years later, my very first client. It's amazing what that little bit, uh, that little bit of customer service will do for you, huh? It's a, we have a, I, I joke about this, but we have about a 98, I think it's 98.2% Ooh, retention rate. Retention, yeah, that's that's pretty good under 2% churn. And we have two clients that, we've only had two clients ever leave for just because, oh, we want to go to another broker. 
And both of them came back in the la- a year later. <laughs> and then the only other ones we've ever lost have left because they either got, they merged, yeah. bought or sold, right. or they closed the doors. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. So what would you say are the biggest challenges that you know, you're facing uh, within Ovation, uh, within Ovation Health. Um, and is it the same, do you think it's the same challenges your competitors are facing from an industry standpoint? It's, that's a hard one because, you know, the challenges we face right now is we're, as we build these health plans, there's so much data and analytics we're dealing with now. Mm-hmm. So we're getting more in depth. So it's actually a lot on the back end. So just having the time to really get into that and dig into it, it we're just seeing which takes more time to do what we're doing. Um, but that, again, that's just getting more people in place that can handle it and specialize in things. We're actually training people to do new new jobs and tasks that we haven't done before. Mm-hmm. Um, like our competitors, I mean, when we're competing, the smaller the smaller competitors or colleagues, they're not doing what we're doing. So we don't really have to worry about them. Mm-hmm. Our biggest competitors are the big ones. I mean, they're locked and Dunning, Marsh, Marsh, Higginbotham. These are the large in the country. Yeah. That's who I compete against now. And the funny part is, mm-hmm. go back six years ago, I'd sit at a table at an employer and be against Lockton. And we'd make it to the final table, but we wouldn't win. Mm-hmm. Now, like I just took a case from Lockton. Like we win 50% of the time. Yeah. What's the difference? And they're huge. They'll say, we have 10,000 employees and you have five but we're offering a different, better solution with better service. Yeah. We're winning. Yeah. You know, I think, I, I, I gotta say, I think more and more companies, you know, executives are starting to realize, I mean, there, there's still a lot of, you know, a lot of places where, you know, companies are just going to hire McKinsey, even if it's, you know, they're going to be pissing away millions of dollars. Right. Um, but I think more and more executives are realizing that, often the boutique solution is the best solution. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. The boutique, you know, smaller it can be better because yep. what they realize too is we can turn on the, on a dime. That's right. We don't have to run through levels. And we see that in some of the larger ones. They, they're they like, oh, that's not our model. We don't do that. We can't do that. We, we're just going to push you here because this is what we have that's, a relationship right. with. Or here's where our bonuses mm-hmm. are coming from. You know, they don't have the same, again, they don't have the same aligned interest. And this is what we tell them is, you need to have everyone sitting on the same side of your table. If you're with Blue Cross and work with Locked, really, they're just there. They're making money. They're not on the same side of the table as you. Neither is Blue Cross. So you want to have aligned interest mm-hmm. with all your partners. And that's, right. that's the thing. We are a fiduciary partner that is there to make sure that you're getting, that you're not getting ripped off, that you're, you're getting the best possible coverage. And we're there to protect you and your bottom line. Cause you're ultimately the employer is the one paying us. We're not getting, if you're at Blue Cross, Blue Cross is paying us. Right. So technically, even though we say that, we work for Blue Cross at that point, in my opinion. You know, even though they're paying the premium, so we like, you know, in your, yeah, that self-funded well, level fund right. environment, we're it, getting paid by the employer. Right, right. It's, I think it's, it's sort of analogous to, um, you know, a PNC. You can, you know, you can buy from a broker or you can buy from an agent. Yeah. You know, and an agent, for all intents and purposes, works for the carrier. <laughs> Correct. Yep. And a broker, for all intents and purposes, works for the customer. Exactly. You know, and that's, and we've gotten into this term now too. We try to get away from, there's brokers who are in our, in my opinion, are selling a commodity. They're selling a mm-hmm. product. They're, Hey, here's Blue Cross here. We're going to spreadsheet right. and you pick one. That's a broker. Yeah. And like my, in my next gen mastermind group, you know, we, we're consultants. We work mm-hmm. for you. We're there to find a solution that fits the best that's for right. your company. That's going to have the best outcomes yep. and solutions for you and your employees. Yeah. That's the same. It's the same with me. I, I just think it's super important that, you know, there's not one solution for everyone. Yep. And I think the more people realize that, the more, you know, more and more small businesses and boutiques are going to do just better and better and better against yep. some of these bigger companies. And we're in a different work environment too. I was, I spoke at a panel uh, discussion in Jamaica last mm-hmm. week. And while we're there on the panel, we talk about, you know, technology solutions, enrollment solutions for this diverse workforce, not just in some people are working at home, some are virtual, some are at the office. But just even that now we have like four or five generations, you know, we have millennials and Gen Z's and Gen X's and boomers, even though they're starting to exit the market, we have four or five generations all working and they're all very different. And so now you have this challenge of not only am I offering health plans, I have to build a health plan for the needs of five, four or five different generations. Then I have to work on technology and enrollment and communications that are different among four or five generations. 
That's exactly so our, right. our, Then we talk about challenges. That's yeah. a big challenge we're facing right now is how do we build this communications package and a benefits package that addresses all the needs of four or five generations? It's, it's, it's complicated, right? I mean, I just had this conversation with, I mean, I have this conversation a lot around, you know, working with executive teams and, you know, one of the, one of the most important things is teaching people how to communicate effectively. And it's not just communicating effectively, um, what you think is communicating effectively, because if you've got different people, as you just pointed out of different generations, they learn differently. They need to be communicated with in a different in a, in a different manner for them to understand or or to, you know to do whatever, right? And and that's where companies and and have to have got to start realizing that if you're going to have that kind of diversity in your workforce, you've got to be able to to really service each of those different types of people. Well, you think about now these larger, especially larger companies, but even smaller ones, they have diversity and inclusion experts and staff members that that is their job is to make sure we're doing all of that. Yeah. But HR also has that challenge of, and we hear it all the time. Well, I've got this situation. I have this type of employee or we're hiring this and we have to deal, we have to deal with these different, different, we've got everything from gender issues to relationship issues to different parts of the country. Oh, all our employees were in Texas. Now we've got some in California because everyone's working virtually. These people went, they moved to Oregon. And so how do we have to deal with that as well? Mm-hmm. It's, and it's just changed. And the, again, the communication, someone do Zoom, someone in person. So we're just balancing all these different cultural issues, yeah. generational issues. Yeah, it, yeah it's, it's a challenge, but you know, we're, it's fun to work it mm-hmm. out and find ways to make the, have those solutions. Mm-hmm. Dan, as a leader, um, a CEO and a founder, what, what, what are some of the mistakes you've made and why, and what have you done to correct them? I know we could be here for many, many more days. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> highlight, you know, one or two or three. I, I laugh because it was funny when uh, I first started the business and I just had just met my, my wife. Um, you know, I was working during the day, making calls. And, but then I also spent some time in the pool during the day. And, you know, it was kind of like, well, yeah, I, I own a business. I'm going to do, I'm going to do great things. But really, I was only, really, I realized I was only kind of half-ass working. Yeah. I'm going, all right. And eventually I got to, and then at some point it was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to put my head down and grind it out. And sure enough, success came with that hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it grew. Um, I think there was one, I'll tell you, this was a good a learning experience for me. Um, there was one year I was feasting and we had, we had gotten this big union client and we were writing a lot of business in, in the supplemental market. Mm-hmm made a lot of, it was a really great year, made a lot of money. And I had a couple guys working for me that we were going to all these union things, writing all this business. And then that lasted for a good couple of years. And one year something happened and we basically, we lost that group. The union decided they went a different direction and they didn't, they didn't want, they, they didn't want uh, the product anymore. So suddenly we lost that. And I still kept spending as if I had that money coming in each month <laughs> and I put it into a point where like, suddenly I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. I don't have this money. And I'm yeah. next, you know, where I went from zero debt to having credit card debt and all these other things, right. you know, I, and I learned you have to adjust. You never know what tomorrow's going to bring. Mm-hmm. You never know if that client's going to leave. So same thing. I can have one big client, but it may take 15 small ones to equal that. Right. But if you lose that big one, how's it going to affect you? Mm-hmm. And so I really started looking more, you know, being more responsible financially years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and paying attention to those things. So now like, yeah, if I lose this big client, it's going to suck and hurt, but it's not going to, you know, we'll just say, okay, great. We just move on and get new clients and it's not going to hurt us mm-hmm. like it used to yeah, um, because we're being more financially sound. But I think paying attention to those numbers and realizing, you know, you know, tomorrow could be the last day. <laughs> um, but that was a big learning curve was just, you know, you have to adjust. And especially again, if you're spending a certain way and you lose clients, you might have to, let somebody go. You might have to bootstrap more. You might have to cut out that country club membership, or you might have to cut out things because of that. And mm-hmm. so watch those things and don't think, ah, oh, tomorrow's, you know, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Cause you next, you know, you're going to find yourself, you know, in debt. And that's the beauty. Now, now we have no debt. We're a profitable company. We've yeah. got more employees. We can hire, we can afford to do what we want, mm-hmm. but I don't take that for granted because I never know what tomorrow's going to bring. Right. That's great. Anything else? Oh, um, you know, I think also, and I see this a lot, and I did, I had a moment where, I mean, I've got two younger kids, now they're 15 and 11, but there were times where I saw myself working all night and really not spending as much time with the family. Mm-hmm. And years ago, several years ago, 
especially when my kids started playing sports, I changed that attitude of, you know what? No, my family's first. My kids are first. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I pretty much like now they get home at four or five from school, but you know, they get out of school at two thirty three. they come home. I kind of stopped working at that point. Take care of them, run them to soccer practice, make them a snack, mm-hmm. do the things for them. And if I have to come home and work later, great. But I also learned the work is still there tomorrow. So what's, you know, yeah, there might be a deadline where once in a while I have to stay up all night and really get it done. But overall in the morning, they're leaving at 730. I'll just do it in the morning. It, it, what, there was never anything so pressing that I could, that, that I need to ignore my family. Mm-hmm. And so, I, and I've taken that now, you know, that's just, that's how I live. So family first. Yeah. And I think, I think part of that is just self-care also, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny, my, I think my, uh, my next newsletter is going out. We have a, we're talking about that. exactly that is, you know, taking time for yourself, whatever that might be. You know, there's, there's no Wait. thing as a nine to five day anymore. <laughs> you know, it's a, that's a Unless hot topic. You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, my wife just did, you know, she just had a big, in their association, they just hosted an event. It was about work-life balance and how do you balance those things? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a hot topic. And I had on my, on my show, I had um, Red Boswell, who's a longtime friend. He runs an association for franchisees. Mm-hmm. But he talked about, he said, you know, there's no work. I asked him, how do you balance that? Because he's always traveling. And he said, there's no work-life balance. He goes, I look at his work-life integration. He goes, my, you know, my work is my life. My family is my life. My work and my family are my life. He talked about how he integrates all of it and he makes it all work together where his family is actually part of his work. Just like my kids, they know, oh, it's ovation. You know, we sponsor things at their school. We do stuff. We, we keep it all combined. So it's, it's part of the family. It's not, you know, I go to work, I come home. Now it's family time. There is that integration, but so it's, it's not because there's no balance. I'm sorry. There's no balance. Uh, you know, some people can separate the two. You know, but overall it's integrating and how do you bring it all together and make it work harmoniously together? And there are those moments, but Mm -hmm. it's a big topic now. We hear everyone talking about it. Well, it is. And, and, and it's not, you know, and, and the reality is, is, you know, it's, I had, I had a, a a client when I was still in the search business say to me long ago, he said, listen, somebody, somebody wants to start talking about work-life balance. They are not a good fit for us. (laughs) I mean, this is, this is a fast growing startup right? Yep. There's really not going to be a lot of work-life balance in a startup. I mean, if there's an emergency overnight, you're going to be working on, you know, their software engineers might be working on fixing a problem overnight, Yeah. right? But um, the payout came and it came very, very big. But, but yep. you know, I think, I think partly it's, it's a matter of setting proper expectations and really knowing that there are also going to be ebbs and flows. Yeah. It's not always going to be one and it's not always going to be zero it's going to be somewhere in between and it's going to move around yeah. right well yeah, i think you hit that too sometimes it is a 10 and, and you go man I have, i'm gonna to have to work this night i'll have to do 24 hours straight and get this stuff done yeah. but then the other day it's like you know I, this is an easy day i only have two hours yeah. you know I, I can get everything done in two hours and i think i'm gonna relax today that's right i think when you can take advantage of that and you realize mm-hmm. that you know if there's a slow time and it's not gonna take advantage of that that downtime that me time mm-hmm. You know, say, you know, what? I think I am going to go, but you know, I used to do zoom calls and, uh, on the C-suite network, we talked about this, where I used to do these calls and Trisha would always tell me, she's like, yeah, you can always see Dan, like he'll get on the calls and I have my tripod with my phone on it. And I met my kids are in the soccer practice in the background or I'm at the baseball field. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, we talk about the integration. I found I can get stuff done and people are very more, much more accepting now. It used to be, no, you gotta be in the office. And yes, I think, yes. I think we've gotten into a position now where people are much more forgiving of, yeah, he's at his kid's soccer game or he's sitting at home because we've accept now you can work from home. Um, it's become a lot easier. And actually people say now, oh yeah, he's always at his kid's soccer, but you know, he's still on the call. He's still there. It does. We accept a lot more. And I, it's funny during COVID, I was getting a new group and it was a new, new client coming on and I have this call to the CFO. I'm in my home office and I'm, you know, where I am right now. The CFO of this big company gets on. And of course he comes on and he's got a ball cap backwards, sweatshirt, <laughs> and he's sitting in his closet with clothes behind it. Seriously? And, and he said, I said, and we joked about it. And he said, well, he goes, yeah, this is the only place I can hide from my kids. Oh, that's You so know, when I'm doing funny. a phone call and we laughed about it. And it was, an, I had another yeah. one, the same thing it was a CFO and he's sitting there as a, you know, 500 in person company and he's in his kid's bedroom. And I joke with him, there's bunk beds behind him. 
and you know, I laughed and I said, we closed the meeting. I said, I only have one question for you. Are you on, do you sleep on the top or bottom? And he yeah, laughed and right. that was, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I think that's a really, really great point because, you know, so much now, um, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's just COVID. I think the COVID must've caused this to happen. Yeah. You know, I've worked from home for, gosh, almost, I guess, 21 years now. So for me, it's not, it's not really any different, but you know, the doorbell rings, you know, I'm sorry, can you excuse me? I've got to go grab the door or something, or, you know, the dog is right. barking or, you know, a cat's walking in front of my screen and there goes a tail and, you know, something like that. But I think people are so- far more accepting of that now, but, you know, the reality is it's more authentic, really. I agree. It shows the personal side of people. That's right. That they have lives. They're doing the And it is like, I gotta take my, I gotta take my, yeah, you hear my, like right now, my dog at the door closed and we got the puppies barking. But while I'm sitting here, both my kids have come home from school. Mm-hmm. I watch them walk in. You know, they're it, that personal thing. It's like, hey, it's cool to see them. And one of them walked up and you were talking in the beginning and he's opening the door, coming in to talk to me. I'm like, no, go, go away, go away. <laughs> on a call. But it's a, a very call. personal thing. And I've been on calls where my son comes in. I'm like, dude. And then he'll come over and he'll, he'll, but he'll peek his head in and wave. And right. I'm like, I honestly don't care. And honestly, if you can't accept that I have kids that are part of my life, then maybe we shouldn't work together anyway. You know what? You are preaching to the choir, mister. I'll tell you that. If, if, if people are going to be that buttoned up and that uptight, you know what? You're probably not the right client for me. Yep. Yep. You're, you're just really not. And, and, I'm, <laughs> and it's okay for me to say no to you. It, it really It is. Yeah. We're in a, we, you can't. I can say no. or, But mm-hmm. I, I, I do. I think we're in a very forgiving. It's weird because we are in a very forgiving in a business environment. Right. At the same time, I think society is less mm-hmm. forgiving. When we look at everything going on in the world, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Who's your ideal client? Ideal client. So really when somebody's talking to us, number one is they want change. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. Mm-hmm. They could be 10 employees or 10,000. They want right. change. They want savings. They want better quality care. But when we're marketing, we target employers that have 50 to 500 employees okay. um, because Typically, we don't have to deal with the bureaucracy of big boards to go over and run things through. We can deal directly with the CEO, CFO, mm-hmm. founder. We can make mm-hmm. change quicker, better. Mm-hmm. And honestly, in that 100 to, in 100 to 500 space, they truly appreciate the things we do. We get, we get contact with the employees. You got 10,000 life group, 10,000 employees. They're spread all over. We don't have a lot of connection with the employees. But yeah. these groups that are you know 50 to 500 employees, we actually have connection and get to know the employees. We're doing a manufacturing company in Austin, 300 employees. Our team is down there sitting with every employee, talking to them, making mm-hmm. connection, getting to know them. And that's why I think we have such a, that service sign. Yeah. But it is it's a very human, personal touch. And now the employees know, oh, I don't have to go to my HR. I can just call directly to Ovation. They're going to take yeah. care of my problem. They're going to give me an ID card. They're going to fix my claim mm-hmm. issue. But- it is. I think that 50 to 500 space, we can have so much impact and yeah. change. And it's great to see that with the employees and, and, and the employers. That's terrific. What, if anything, bugs you about your industry? Just There's so many that, are, that, can, that can help employers that don't. I think there's a lot of laziness. There's a lot of complacency and stuck back in the old way of things. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, I know I have, I know a, a broker here and he's, he's an older gentleman, but still all his business with Blue Cross, you know, with Blue Cross, and he'll tell everybody Blue Cross is the best. That's where you need to go because they're the biggest and they're the best, even at the detriment of the employer, because when it's easy for him, mm-hmm. um, he's getting bonuses and things like that based on all of that. He's, mm-hmm. He puts his needs first. And we yeah. see a lot of that when you, when you talk to even carriers and they say, and I, I hear this all the time, like, Oh, we have this great bonus structure. If you place this much business, we're going to send you on a trip or we're going to do this or we're going to do this. That means I'm putting my needs ahead of my clients. Right. If I'm placing business to get bonuses and to, and to get trips, which a lot do, not all of them, but they do, then that's not the way business should be run. And so that's why I love, like I keep bringing up my mastermind group. You know, there's 50 brokers, boutique consultants around the country that we band together and we work together to bring solutions and discussions so we can help better help our clients, but we're sitting on the same tide of the clients. We're not there for bonuses and trips. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we're there to help people. And, you know, and hopefully the industry keeps going that way. But I think the ones I'm talking about, they're slowly leaving. I think it's an older generation. Yeah. You know, the generation before me. And they're slowly leaving, losing their books of business. I know one we offered to buy it from him and he didn't like he wanted way more than a, it, was it was worth. worth. <laughs> and now and now I know for a fact he's lost half of it. Just they went with other brokers because he just was, whereas he could have been, 
still happy, but you know, it's, it's that un- inability to change or see the future. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that's long winded a- answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's, you know, it, it, the answer is what the answer is, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you don't have a huge organization, but tell me a little bit about your culture. So the one thing I learned, so I've always been, again, talking go back to family and the way I work, it's always been get the job done. Number one, I don't really work on hours, you know, yeah, yeah, we're dealing with our clients, but you know, when I was working, I was seven days a week, service seven days a week, take care of people. And that's, and I had to work seven days a week because that I needed the time, Yeah. but also things happen. You know, people are at the hospital on Saturday afternoon with their kids and they don't have an ID card. That's when they need the help the most. Not Mm -hmm. not on Friday afternoons and why they're at work. So for me, I built this culture of taking care of people seven days a week, being there for them. And, and, and that was kind of ingrained for me a little bit from the Aflac side too, because that was one of the things Aflac preached and taught right. you as an associate to, hey, they need a claim fill. You're going to help them fill the claim form out. You're going to help them get this done. Mm-hmm. That was this culture. And, and also coming from the restaurant industry, I had a big service background. Yes, yeah, sure. But taking care of people was very ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. And I built ovation that route. And then when I brought people on, I just kept that going. This is how we operate. This is how we take care of people. And so our whole company, everyone, that's just from day one. That's the culture. We take care of people, including each other. Mm-hmm. But we're also very responsible, I guess, employees. Everyone, I don't have hours. Like, you know, we, we see we have weekly meetings in the office and everyone comes in on a Monday. We sit around for a few hours, walk through the whole week and the clients and what's going on. Rest of the week, unless we have to, we don't, we don't meet. Everyone has their marching orders. You know what has to be done. And then on Monday, we just make sure it's all done on the following Monday. Yeah. What are the deadlines? Right. But I don't oversee anything. I just expect it done. And I've yeah. never had a problem with that. Everyone is, is very much a go-getter. They take responsibility. They get things done. Um, and, and it just creates that culture. And there was a, there's a, uh, I can't think of his name. He's a billionaire, owns this massive company with, you know, 100,000 employees in Asia somewhere. Mm-hmm. He did a TED talk and he said, I don't require hours of any employee. Their only job basically is to get the task done. Yeah, right. And that's kind of how I do it is, is I don't care what you work. I don't care if you're in the office Monday through Friday, if you work from home, I don't care if you're on the beach, just get the job done when it needs to be done. And like right now we're busy. Everyone's got deadlines. We're all working on stuff, but I, you know, no one's missing anything and I don't know what people are doing. I mean, somebody was like, hey, I'm going to Florida to see my sister, but I'll bring my laptop. Great. Cool. Have fun. <laughs> I'll pay for your plane ticket. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mr. Twitter needs to take a uh, take a page from that book. Yeah, exactly. I you agree. I, <laughs> he fired half the, half of his staff and told the other staff they better basically live in the office. Yeah, that's gonna, that's going to be really good. I'm sure most of them have their resume out already. Headhunter, <laughs> start calling Twitter. You'll be able to poach them out of there, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who wants to work with somebody like that? It's ridiculous. Um, if somebody was just getting into your industry, what kind of advice would you give them? You know, I think have an open mind, get away from the status quo, don't fall into this. In fact, there's a, a girl here in town that a friend of mine introduced me to. So I've kind of, he's mentoring her, but I've been kind of mentoring a little bit too. And saying, you know, don't be so closed mind and look at, you know, the Buka, Blue Cross, yeah, healthcare. Don't look at that. That is the only solution. There's so many solutions. That is a minor right. piece. Right. Open-minded. Understand that the world is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely join, like I, we were talking earlier about NAHU, National Association of Health Underwriters, because there's, that's the national one, but you also have the local chapters, because that's how you're going to get, in, not only with the carriers, but there's other brokers and colleagues that are in those organizations that can help guide you. Yeah. Um, and then definitely like, you know, my, my friend, Nick Kennedy, um, he's a CEO. He sold a big company. He's a good friend of mine. He said, you need to have a, you need to have a mentor. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, mentor, mentee, and mensch. Those are the three yeah. things he said. You have to have, you, you have to have those three, <laughs> you know, but he's, but definitely have a mentor. Have someone you can go to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's, I had to look up what mensch was and it was funny. Yeah, and I was like, oh. but you know that was he said that's really important he said maybe you know there's always somebody you can be a mentee you can be a mentor but he said you have to have that mentor you know he's like i have a mentor i'm like yeah i've got a couple of them and so and you can have different mentors some mentors may be in your personal life some are in your business life some are in the insurance world but have people you can go to and count on and if you don't have a mentor ask somebody everyone is happy to be a mentor that's the thing most people are very happy to be a mentor if you come to somebody and say could you help me could, you know, they'll be like, yeah, I'd love to. Most people want to give, right? Everyone wants to give. 
Well, I don't know. If, I don't know if everybody wants to give. I'm not so sure. I'm. I, I. I'm. I'm that. I think I'm a little more skeptical than that. But yeah, I think. I think too. most people really do want to give, and you know, not you know, in a way that's just not purely self serving. One thing I've seen in our industry that's changed. I think a little bit. I, years ago, I, I would see people very. It was very competitive. It's still competitive, but mm-hmm. that competition was. I'm not going to help you, and I don't want. I don't want to teach you my secrets, and I don't want to show you things to make you because you're going to compete against me. I know in, in Texas, I mean, even in Dallas, there's, there's way more business to go around. No, sure. You don't need to. I've got colleagues of mine that I've known forever. Not once have I ever run into one of their clients. Yeah. Well, we've got handshake agreements. Amazing, if I run into it? your client yeah. and they're yeah. not happy yeah. with you, I'll call you and tell you so you can hopefully save them. Yeah. But yeah, you never run into them. So yeah, yeah, it's really we all help each other and we, we yeah. call each other. Hey, what would you do in this situation? I got this prospect I'm looking at. They have this problem. I'm like, oh, call so-and-so. They got a great product that'll fix this. Or I have a solution. Call this. Have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about virtual mm-hmm. primary care? So we're helping each other. And so look for help and work together. We're, I mean, we're, we're actually, we're not competing. We're actually trying to solve a problem, this big healthcare mess that we're in, as you said in the beginning. We have this huge mess. And if you're with the right people, we're all trying to solve it together. Mm-hmm. And if we solve it, or at least bring in great solutions, we can all win together. Bravo. Um, Dan, is there anything that we haven't covered that I haven't asked you about that I forgot to ask you about? Don't think so. We covered a lot. Actually, there are good questions, things I wasn't even counting on. It was really good. Oh, good. good session. Well, good. Well, I appreciate that. Well, Dan LeBraud, CEO of Ovation Health and Life Sciences. Uh, I knew this would be a fun conversation. Thanks for being with me. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.